Hello, welcome to The Conversations with Jason Campbell and Henrietta Galina. Hello. Hello, Henrietta. How are you today? Um, I'm alive. <laughs> well, we are, we're winding down the year, so this is, um, this is one of our last episodes of the year. And um, I think it's fitting that we are speaking about one of the, the big issues, or one of, let's say one of the big elements in fashion, and that surrounds uh, money and fashion. And uh, what is exactly our question this week, Henrietta? So it's something, and I feel like I say this every episode, we're like, this is the connecting theme, or we spoke about this in this and this episode, but I do think all things are connected. And this to me, especially after the last few episodes when we've been talking about degendering fashion and sustainability and influencer culture, you know, a lot of themes, I think a lot of it does come down to this. And so the question is, um, essentially, is creativity now diametrically opposed to profitability which sounds a lot headier than it is but ultimately to break it down it's like fashion as a vehicle as a medium is inherently incredibly creative and it really is about connection and art and design and humanity and culture um and that's really the genesis of it and that's what should be at the nucleus of the industry but ultimately what we're seeing now is that profitability seems to be the focus so are those two things diametrically opposed because i think a lot of the modern tactics to being and remaining profitable at the scale in which is desirable feels counter to like everything that this industry is is made for you know well, let's identify that uh, this is a $3 trillion industry. This is, this is a massive, massive business. It has, uh, it has global reach, and there are changes that are taking place surrounding fashion across the globe. I have to uh, tell this story uh, in my research surrounding this discussion, and I, I, I thought it was a interesting little anecdotal anecdotal bit and that being around you know fruits magazine you know fruits mm-hmm. the 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 tokyo based publication that essentially has chronicled street culture um, in tokyo since the 80s and primarily surrounding harajuku culture and the and the the innovation and the over the topness of that kind of dressing and essentially that publication has been going since uh, 30 plus years uh, just chronicling essentially taking pics and 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 publishing it in this in this uh, in this book, uh, twice a year, something to that effect. Uh, but in any case, uh, in reading about this, I found out that Fruits is about to close, and the reason it's about to close is that uh, that expression, that singular, innovative, creative expression, is being supplanted by other things like the uniglos of the world. So, um, and the, the reason why the uniglos of the world are able to be so successful is they they come in and they sneer market share. They can open stores all over the place and really start to impact, you know, impact that the culture and impact uh, shopping. And then, as I said, creativity amongst this Harajuku culture has completely been primarily just eviscerated. Yeah. Or the other mode of survival, which would be an avenue, would be to be sponsored by the Uniqlo's, which again, by (laughs) default, would dilute the creativity that they became known for. So 
we're swinging in roundabouts. And I think one of the things that was really interesting is um, there was an event that happened that was really rooted in fashion and art and expression uh, that now was like, you know, basically like an Instagrammable influencer activation based around sponsored uh, Instagrammable moments by pharmaceutical companies and migraine medicines and Uber. I spoke to four influencers that went and they were like, I took my picture, I got my money and I left. And so I was a bit like, well, what was that? Pur- what was the purpose if it was a creative endeavor that was not creative? What was the point? And the point was to make money and to keep sponsors happy. And so it really, for me, was the underpinning example of where is the industry going? Because I know that definitely this season specifically, I've had a very dystopian view of fashion. And while um, that's not necessarily changed for now, this isn't really the root of it. This isn't about having a dystopian view. It's really about having a conversation about something that, you know, there's always that push-pull tension of any industry. And that's what spurs innovation and and actually spurs creativity because you're like okay how are we going to make this work that in a way that honors you know music or art or whatever and there's always commercial endeavors and there's always compromise but I think what strikes me about fashion is that like I was having this conversation at work about how fashion is about pushing culture forward and, and embracing culture and really contributing to culture and it's about connectivity and fashion is where you used to go if you were disenfranchised or considered other. Fashion was where you would go to build community and literally everyone was looking at me like I was an insane person because They were really like, fashion is about commodities, like fashion is about selling product to clients and customer acquisition and customer retention. And it was very businessy in a way that I was like, yes, but but fashion is a mode of self-expression. That's just what it is. And obviously how people choose to participate in it is, is, is an individual choice. But that is the core of fashion. That's ultimately why we're here. We're selling people things that they don't need. But it was really interesting that we ended up in this kind of argument about the merits of fashion in a way that we weren't even really talking about fashion because I was talking about fashion and they were talking about business. So that was the whole thing of, okay, but that does influence what you are making. If you're not looking at it as a creative endeavor, then you're making product based on data and based on sales. And then everything that you think about, like even the act of going to work, is like if we've in a way almost dehumanized work where we we just go in, we clock in, we clock out. It's not about ideas. It's not about the coming together of community and really kind of standing for something and having a point of view. If we're essentially dehumanizing this industry that is essentially built on how we want humans to feel about others and themselves, I was really just a bit like, if this is all about making money, then well, I, I, <laughs> to the point about about humans and how they feel, I don't know if that has been um, the the main effort of fashion for a long time. It doesn't have to be the driving force, but it does have to be considered. Okay, fair enough. But you know what I must say that I I was thinking about in your in you speaking right now. I couldn't help but to think about Lee McQueen, Alexander McQueen, and I was thinking of his journey. And I happen to have worked with Alexander McQueen literally in his like second year of um of designing. And so I saw that rise, and I saw the trajectory. I really was able to experience that in a very close way. And if you look at his if you look at his career over time, and of course his his demise may be part and parcel to this to this statement. 
But look at his rise over the years. In many ways, his rise was also coincided with the with the the decline of creativity. The more successful that he got, in many ways, he has he had to dial back. And let, let's be honest, Alexander McQueen kind of kept a lot to you know to challenging design aesthetic. But also look at how it has morphed into um, Sarah Burton, and look at where we are now. And someone just put it to me recently, just in the last week, actually. They said Sarah Burton is a it's a great commercial Alexander McQueen. And I was just like, I really understand that. Like, Lee McQueen may not have risen to the ranks where Sarah Burton currently has it. She's literally steering that ship, steering it in a really solid way. And the reason why she's able to do that is because maybe she's not, you know, um, uh, putting on these highly challenging presentations with their models, these highly uh, challenging shows, and really challenging the our creative senses. She's putting it and packaging it in, an, in a way that helps the money to come in the door a lot more. And never mind that the aesthetic is more, is more, it's less challenging to the eye. But ultimately, I think that's what has happened, is been packaged in a way that it's palatable for everyone in terms of sales. And therefore, the creativity is is is, is lessened over, over a period of time. And we've come to accept that. And when the when when success is seen financially, and that's 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 evident I think, you know, creativity just kind of, that conversation goes out the door. And that's a really good example, if not an extreme one, because obviously Lee McQueen was kind of creativity at all costs, whereas now I feel like we're kind of like profitability at all costs. So those are two very extreme examples. And I think that what Sarah Burton has been able to do for the McQueen brand is have a really fair compromise, right? Not to the extent that I'm sure like Ali McQueen would have wanted and not to the extent of, I'm sure, shareholders or owners where they're like profitability at all cost. That seems to be some sort of happy medium. Okay. I don't know enough about the business, but from a, an outsider's perspective, it seems to be a happy medium. The Lee McQueens of the world, the Gallianos of the world, it's an extreme pocket of the industry. Fair enough. But what I'm talking about is... It is incumbent on fashion to challenge the senses and to spur conversation and to push ideals forward because those things end up becoming mainstream and then they end up becoming part of our cultural narrative. But what era are you talking about? What era are you talking about from? I'm sorry. As you speak and as you repeat that, I'm thinking, I'm like, wait, what is this the, I mean, is this the 60s? But that's what I'm saying. But that's exactly what I'm saying. We don't do that anymore. That's not part of the, the fashion conversation. And so I think when we talk about success, what does that look like? Because I think that's kind of part of the conversation. There's just been like a change in ideals, essentially. And I think ultimately, look, when I, when I talk about money and versus creativity, I do understand that businesses need to make money and be profitable in order to stay in business and keep doing what they're doing. I guess what I'm talking about is is really more greed than profitability because I think that the benchmarks of success have very much changed. It's very much about being a juggernaut. It's about being a multi-billion dollar company. It's about startups getting that unicorn valuation within five years. It's about keeping shareholders happy. So that idea of success is very much financial and the path to success 
as we've seen often, is by any means necessary. Who gets hurt in the process, what the environmental impacts are, you know, what the work-life balance is, what the work culture is, what the toll it takes on designers becomes less important because the output and the outside goal is ultimately financial. Whereas I think that fashion inherently is the, the, the goals are meant to be a bit more complex than that and a bit more layered because part of what made successful brands was their imprint, their contribution to culture, what their product actually was. It wasn't um, a ubiquitous idea that all brands would make the same things in order to make money. So we were talking about the streetwear trend, for instance, before where it was like, right, but like, is it because of the democratization of fashion? So everyone wants streetwear. So it's incumbent on all brands to create streetwear. Well, no, that's what made the Supremes and, and the Chanel's distinctively their own brands. It wasn't about all brands co-opting into an idea and all putting out the same thing, creating this homogenous environment. It was about having a point of view. So as a brand, this is our point of view. This is our aesthetic. This is what we do. Trends have always been a thing over the history of time. What's changed now about today is that all brands by any means necessary are trying to make money. So they're all co-opting into these themes, which we've seen could be problematic when brands are, you know, losing their DNA, not having a point of view, greenwashing and saying they're sustainable to tap into a trend, but not changing their business uh, or manufacturing practices. We've seen it with the diversity conversation, brands and the designers putting more people of colour on the catwalk and in ad campaigns, but not hiring them. Because one creates profit and the other one is, is not really, they're not held accountable and it's not really incumbent on them but you know, in terms of how it impacts the bottom line. So is it important for them to hire more people of colour internally? No, but it's important for them to, to put them in a public facing position, like in an ad campaign or catwalk, because they want more money. So those are the things that I'm talking about, where it's like standing for something, having a point of view, all of those things get compromised when we're only looking at the bottom line. And I do think it's a greed conversation because obviously the benchmarks have just changed. Never before did you need to be a trillion dollar business. You just needed to be profitable. Well, you know, what I think is missing from this conversation, I think an understanding of what the landscape really looks like. What does the fashion industry actually looks like in respect to to creative brands, those brands that are deemed creative, doing things that are envelope pushing, that are leading edge, and so forth, and juxtaposing that against the brands that are, the, the juggernaut brands that are leading the industry and that has the wealth and the power and the money to make moves. I don't know that, you know, your general listener, and obviously our audience is a, is a bit more specialist let's say but i don't i don't necessarily know that they know what that landscape looks like either in terms of like hyper creative brands that are trying to break through in this time but are being but are not given that opportunity because they don't have the money you know or or that big money is going to them in at their nascent stages and essentially co-opting their creativity and then not allowing them to thrive i think that there's a there's a there's a there's a lack of understanding and i actually i don't fully know the landscape um in in its entirety right now at a, like i did at a particular time what i do know is that there is 
a there's an upstart of designers that are out there. We've mentioned some of them here, the you know, the Peter Doe's, the Daniel Lees, and a, a new league of designers that are, let's say, more creative. Yes, they fall into some of the um the sameness, the sameness place that a lot of brands fall into now. They're doing everyone's doing a sneakers or or, or hoodie or no, something. But they of that have kind. a point of view. The but Christopher they, John Rogers, they have a very distinctive design point of view. Exactly. For sure. So I, I don't know if the audience, because things are moving so quickly, and then there's a whole new cadre, there's a whole new class of designers that have, you know, that's not even cemented yet, but that's just emerged over the last couple of years. So I'm not sure if people are able to read the industry in a way that we are attempting to do here, and I don't think they even know the players. And I think it's very easy in this time to go with the LVMH narrative, to go with Louis Vuitton. Okay, Virgil is there and is putting out these poppy, you know, sportswear-inspired things. Okay, we know what that is. Like, it's very easy just to digest what's at what's at face value and not to look beneath because it's it's is actually kind of hard to detect right now. So I don't know that this concern, it's amongst <laughs> the people that in the past would have been concerned with this, you know, the hyper-fashionistas, you know, the executives in fashion, the editors, and so on and so forth. The, the class has been so splintered that we don't have any, not that we're looking for an overlord, but we don't have any sort of like body that's looking at this in a way that, say, we did in the 90s and we knew every tremor, every movement in fashion, who was about to emerge who was doing something interesting? Who was falling off? And those sort of things. We're in a climate now that that's why we have these kind of discussions in this forum, because I think we need more people to try to have a handle on this. And I, I really do think that's a part of it. The information, people don't know the moves that are being made and the information to actually to mill over in one. Yeah, hand. and that is true. But listen, I, you know, this is also accounting for evolution. So there is a, a large part of that being a variable here. The internet has blown everything out of the water. So there's a lot more noise. There's a, Things are saturated. There's a lot more to see. There's a lot more information. It's, it's a different... It's a different landscape. There's not, you know, the same 10 channels and the 10 powerful magazines and the three powerful editors. Like, it has become a lot more democratic, which for the most part, is a really good thing. But I think one of the things that I'm really reacting to is we brought up Lee McQueen. Can that be a viable option today? Could you actually have the creative powerhouse that is an Alexander McQueen in today's climate? Could he really break through um, and, and get his head above water without saying, but here's a sneaker and here's a hoodie and here's a sweatshirt, but really this is what I want to be doing. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, have we created an environment, however we got here, where those people that really push this industry forward and our ideas and ideals and self-expression and tell stories and all of those things that are really important to fashion, at least I think so, is it even a viable option them to participate in this industry anymore because the goals are you know if you're a new designer your projections need to be x for you to even get you know like people are really going out of business talented people are compromising and diluting their ideas and we've kind of become this um mass mover it's about selling to the masses which isn't a bad thing you could be uniqlo or gap or whatever that's fine but ultimately <clears throat> we've evolved as an industry but the benchmarks of success have become just money by any means necessary. And so it, is there also an opportunity to evolve what that is? Is creativity a consideration? 
is even like things like happiness, like is going to work and being happy and loving what you do and putting something great out into the world. Like a company is ever going to say, we made this dress. It's maybe going to make less money than if we made the dress that the algorithm and data told us to make. But we're just so happy and proud it's in the world. Are those decisions that are ever going to be made? I feel like fashion is really about beating an algorithm and kind of amassing and interpreting data. Well, I I, I disagree with that. And I think this has come up, this particular point has come up in our discussion before uh, here. And I've spoken about those pockets. I've spoken about those pockets that I see on social media where people are being hyper, hyper creative. I lean in and I was like, oh, well, wait a minute. I haven't seen that before. In terms of a business model, I, I don't know. Your question was like, can a creative powerhouse like Ali McQueen essentially break through in, this, in a climate like this now? I don't, I don't know about that necessarily, but I don't know that that's, those are the criteria that we're using anymore anyway. And what is breaking through? The Lee McQueen breakthrough was through an Anna Wintour lens. It was about anointment and about support on magazine pages and all those sort of things. The, 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 the formula that no longer applies in this current, um, in this current climate. So I, I, I have to say, and I, I, I forgot how we got to this point, as I said in another podcast before, but I do see, I do see a lot of hyper creativity out there. I don't know that they're aspiring to. Um, I don't know that they're aspiring to to be on the pages of Vogue. I think they're probably more aspiring to have a huge following on on Instagram. But it is there, and I, I, I don't think they're affected by money. I don't think they're they're thinking about the Uniglo and the LVMH and all the, that kind of money. And I think they are operating to maintain or achieve the same kind of freedom that you just uh, elucidated. There, you ask, are they? Do they exist? I think actually they really do exist and they have modest businesses and are doing perfectly fine. Of course, ultimately with the internet and with this idea that we can all be designers and that there's so much going on in the landscape, obviously there are going to be people that are doing great things and doing great work, being realistic about what it takes to maintain a business and not wanting to be too big. What I'm talking about is the new, almost the new social norms of our industry. I'm not talking about brands that are so hyper niche. That's always been the case. I'm talking about pushing fashion forward as an industry. So like being on the main stage somehow. Well, I, it's, that's what I mean. What is the main stage? What is the main stage? And who's putting on that production? There's no, there's no central body. There's no central body. Yes. I mean, let's be honest. The main stage, if we're to really consider a main stage and where the might and the money and the powerhouse lies, that lies in an LVMH and a caring and those kind of, and very few of those kind of entities um, in fashion. That's really where the money, everyone else, I, I think kind of, it's fringe um, at the at the end of the day, and I'm I'm thinking about that designer class. What what's the future of Says Marjan, for example? What's the future of those the design duo at at Oscar de la Renta? Like that that you know that that next tier, if you will, of designers. Are they gonna gonna pick up the same playbook that um you know that that, that the Proenza Schuler did uh, in their in in their era and other designers of their ilk did? That's what I mean. Like in this age. I don't. Yes, we're, we're discussing creativity and um, and money and profitability and all those sort of things. But I think that there's so many factors that impacts how you go about doing business right now. And again, we 
we don't even have to consider a business that does wholesale. You know, a direct-to-consumer business right now can be just as competitive in this space um, and, and that, that I wasn't able to do in the in the past. So I think it's just a very different um, set of rules, and we all, we have to look at these businesses differently. I mean, this is not a real fashion company, although it comes into the fashion speak a lot, but like Away, you know, essentially a luggage lifestyle fashion company or whatever, the way that they've been able to make some moves in this fashion space, we have to look at them differently. How did they get to be a billion dollar valuation, you know, in such a short period of time? What And they seem to be making different moves, taking different, you know, taking different cues in this age. So I, I, I think we also have to look at how how differently the business is structured in order to really draw some of these, um, some of these conclusions. And maybe the trajectory doesn't have anything to do with the trajectory of a Ralph Lauren or a Tommy Hilfiger or, uh, you know, or Fendi or whatever whatever brand that had existed in the past. That is all very true and definitely and definitely uh, a big part of this, but I'm really talking about it from even just a conceptual idea, going back to that conversation that I was having about creativity and like connection and like all of these things and people are like, what are you talking about? We need data, we need... We need clients. We need the out. You know, it was like a, just a, we were talk, we were talking about two very different ideas of this business, which was really interesting. There was no like coming together. So when we talk about innovation and really culture and sustainability, degendering fashion, we're like, well, this is really simple. Fashion should be a great vehicle to talk, have these conversations. And like, why aren't we being progressive and creative? Because of money and greed and power, when we were talking to Alok about this is going to be profitable, men's wear will profit actually from the degendering of fashion because there's more options to more people. And that's a very easy thing to implement, let's say, if you are a juggernaut like an LVMH. But there's other factors at play. Right. So it does really become about this idea of money, greed and power, because that's counter to those interests. The idea of black people in fashion, there's a reason why black people or people of color are on the catwalks and in the ad campaigns and on the shop floor and not in the executive suites. So it really is about when we're solving these problems like sustainability, as we've spoken to with Celine, both on the podcast and behind the scenes in like private conversations, there are very simple things that could be done. It would require you to take less on the bottom line. It would require more investment. It's not an accident that we got here. So I do liken it to money and politics. There are really easy solves for like, let's say gun control laws or uh, pharmaceutical uh, restrictions and regulations to help mitigate the opioid epidemic. Controlling tech companies so that cyberbullying, um, pornography, child pornography, like there are things that could be done. Those are things that are possible. It's just counter to the interests of people in power and how much money they're going to make, right? So I'm just saying that when it comes to this idea of creativity and the output of creativity, which is always progression and innovation and pushing culture forward and addressing these things like climate change and de-gendering fashion and being more inclusive, inclusive fashion, which these themes are ultimately making the world better and speaking to more people. Why isn't fashion a vehicle for that change in a very prominent and progressive way? Because it's counter to the interests of greed. Well, I appreciate that lofty perspective, but <clears throat> take it 
take it back more locally in respect to the designers who are these supposedly, you know, creative uh, beings. They are being run roughshod over. We've done a podcast on this for years now in that these companies that hire them, these companies that, you know, rely on them to sell their billion dollars worth of merchandise, these designers are being wrung through and are being wrung out not because their creativity is respected, no, but because their output in order to get whatever money is back in the door, that's what they want from these designers. So um, if there was any, if there right, was any it doubt... it goes back to the commodification right. of all so, these, of so the, if these was, things and these people and these ideals. Of course. So if there was any doubt to what wins out, you know, this has been happening for some time. We have listed off the designers um, in this form, from the John Gallianos to the former head of, um, of Balmain. I mean, so many... We met mentioned Celine, um, um, uh, what's her name? Phoebe Philo. Queen Phoebe. Phoebe Philo in this form. We mentioned so many people whose creativity has been um, has been sort of upended because of the rigors, because of the demands of acceleration of business and so forth, because of the demands of money, money and money. So this has been happening a long time. And I have no, and I've mentioned some of the, some of the most um, uh, important creative talents, you know, in recent times. And they too have gone the way of of, of sure. creativity supplanted because money ultimately wins out, and they can be you know they can Abs- be substituted absolutely. And ideals and people and 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 audiences become commoditized. I think what is interesting going into twenty twenty is that doesn't really seem to be the broader climate of of people. Like people are demanding change. They're demanding. Um, climate change they're demanding brands be better but so it's not about creativity though henrietta you know it's sustainability and 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 these kind of issues but even... it is though it really fundamentally is it's it's it is creativity that fuels innovation and creative solutions and it is creativity that if you were making something from a distilled point of view or if you were buying something for that you buy even things like like responsible consumerism I think when you're talking about fashion from the point of view of commodities and profit profit and greed, it's just a different thing. Whereas like the industry before, I mean, look at someone like you, you buy what you need and you buy what you love. And you're slightly switched off to those messages of like retail therapy and buy more, buy more, buy oh. more. And all of those things that are predicated on like these brands and their strategies and making more money. So... To a certain degree, I think that you're a bit of an anomaly in and of yourself. But um, I do believe that creativity is at the heart of many solutions. And, and there, I mean, there are scientists that will say that. Well, and I, I, I don't think we touched, touched on this in this discussion, but um, before we started recording, this is something else I was thinking about. You know, we are coming from this top-down, this top-down model where things were... And this is this is actually food for thought and and point to discuss where things were really essentially top down. You know, we had editors that are telling us um, what to wear this season and when it's over and it needs to be uh, discarded. We're no longer in that sort of like affluence affluence influence um, sort of sort of lane. We're now just in influence, and that influence is coming. It's much more democratic. It's coming. It's coming up from the streets. And so, I mean. There's an argument in there is that now that is not top down, now that is not coming from the authorities who understand what, you know, 
ultimately creativity is, when things are innovative, when they're moving things forward, technique is understand and all of those sort of things. Maybe this is a sign of the times in that the power and the, the appraisal is now left to, to the consuming audience and the consuming audience simply does not have the skill sets to, to, to assess these kind of things and therefore has driven us into comfort culture and has driven us into streetwear culture where the, 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 the evaluation is a much easier is a much easier thing. Maybe that has come from, maybe this is something that has come from the street up rather than the industry down. I hear what you're saying <laughs> and that is definitely true to a certain degree but as a company or brand you choose what you opt into and what you participate in. But why are you speaking about these companies and brands in this time as though they have this kind of security where they're able to really make these kind of very informed and studied move at the timing that is just so right and that they're able to just go to the next tranche and 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 business and life goes on in one of the one of the sentiments we've been echoing in this discussion is just how quicksanded how insecure how uncertain how 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 fearful these brands are in this climate no one really knows but yet you're asking for them to stand in this very secure place making sound decision that really ultimately takes them to their next step that's not the energy and the environment that i feel we're living in that is a really phenomenal point, and I hear you. That's a really good point. But it still doesn't take away from the fundamental values that are the tenets of this industry. So I just feel like if you, really, if you take away greed, the possibilities are endless. And I think that there are brands, well-known brands that live in that power. So like Patagonia is a really good example of that. Yes. And they've been in business for long enough that it's not a trend or it's not an anomaly. Like, those things are possible, but you really need to think about what does success and profit and profitability look like for us. So I think being a sustainable company and being a trillion dollar juggernaut are just two different ideals of success. And so I think that as a culture and, and fashion community, we do really need to look at what happens when you take greed out of the equation because greed seems unnecessary. Profitability is necessary. I'm, I'm not saying like go out of business, fuck it, be really noble, but go out of business. That's not what I'm saying. Profitability and greed are two very different things. You could be profitable yes. in a way that is sustainable and pays everyone well and, and has really good business practices and like actually allows you to... Um, to embrace the opportunities that come with the industry. What are we putting out into the world that we're proud of, that we're asking people to buy that should last a long time? Like, how are we not feeding into the, the consumerism problem? How are we um, conditioning responsible consumerism? How are we making people feel good about themselves? How are we including more voices? Like, those are all creative endeavors that we can really talk about and actually um soul for when you take greed out of the equation i just believe that so really i guess fundamentally what i'm talking about is fashion fashion's ideology as opposed to like the tactics and all of that stuff the ideology of fashion seems to have shifted so much well you know what though i must say a takeaway from what you just said is that um and oh, i could appreciate this newly defined creative um uh profile in fashion and what I love, at least what I what I <laughs> what calculated in my head was that fashion in this age needs a successful, profitable example that considers 
all of the things that you just mentioned from the climate the uh, change that's happening, the, the impact of that, diversity, all the kind of sort of fuzzy, warm things that we may speak about in this forum, but that imagine if there was a company... You are minimizing it when you say fuzzy and warm. You're, you're 100% Jason. right. You're, thank you for that. Thank you for that correction. But but you do know what I mean. Those important, those important characteristics, those important tenets of doing business now and going forward. In fact, it should have been a very long time ago, but certainly now and going forward. Yes, that to me is a wonderful, wonderful proposition to be able to see a company that is steeped in creativity, you know, incredibly responsible as it comes to those big issues. Imagine that and still profitable. I think that's actually a great call for um, for a brand to develop itself based on those principles in this age and be successful and profitable. I would love to see it. Exactly. And I think that's the whole conversation of... Greed. Like, do you need to be a trillion dollar business? Who does that benefit? Because it sure as hell doesn't benefit the planet or the people that okay. you claim to serve. 100%. It serves a, a very few shareholders or owners or partners. And also, it's where are we even going? Like, all these billion dollar valuations, most of these companies aren't even profitable. So we're just chasing exactly. these numbers exactly. by any means necessary. And I think that that's what I'm saying. We need to redefine success in this industry because. Even 20 years ago, it was okay to just be in business and be like a $500,000, uh, sorry, a $500 million business. Like oh. that was enough. Everyone's being paid fairly. That was a vibe. Whereas now it's this race to be like, we want to be the Amazon of fashion. We want to be the strange, Apple of fashion. It's strange it's like, desire. It's just to what end and what's the cost of that? Because I don't think that, again, a, 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 an industry like any other creative endeavor, art, music, architecture, it's about other things than money. It's about other human elements that just have to be factored into that ideal of success. Well, I, I apologize for calling your desire for almost a, a, a definition of what doing business is in fashion is now. And I, I'm not actually doing it justice, but I, I did call it lofty. And I must say, by the end of this discussion, what you're asking for in this in this new era of doing business in fashion, I think we do need to see, I think we need to see some solid examples of um, a new business model that is considerate of creativity and considerate of the bottom line. I think so, because I think increasingly when we have these conversations, it's lofty and it's fluffy and it's not important or let's think about this another day or let's save that for a campaign or let's save that for a capsule and mm. I think that no that's really at the nucleus of this industry so it really does need to be a part of the success goals. Thank you very much Henrietta that was a great conversation and we will see you the next time. Uh, it's my time for something